And as a person who loves history, I've seen over and over again in history how evil people can be when they're allowed to um, use their rage and their anger to lash out at their fellow man. And I thought about this chapter. Chapter 4 in the book of Genesis is where we are today, Genesis 4. And I thought about this horrible act that we have known about our whole lives. We've known about Cain and Abel. We've known about this atrocity that begins to scar the human race. And if you want to look at it, this is where all of the real destruction begins. Last week we saw that the first death in the, in the new creation of God was those two innocent animals that had their lives taken, their skins taken, to cover Adam and Eve's sin, at least externally. And then here we see the first act of man against man. And they say, what caused you know, Cain to do such a terrible thing? And you may be surprised that the answer is pride, not anger, not frustration. What caused Cain to lash out at Abel was pride, because pride is the most dangerous sin in all of human experience. Throughout the word of God, the number one evil that besets men is pride. In the Greek, it's the word hubris, hubris, that arrogance that wells up within us. Pride is dangerous because it leads to death and destruction always. Death in human terms, destruction in terms of relationships, marriages, friendships, families. Pride is this most dangerous thing because it kills everyone around it. Now, pride kills every man in three distinct ways. Three distinct ways that pride kills every man. You're going to see it right here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The very first thing I want you to see, pride ignores God's standards. Anytime you have pride involved in human activity, it is because pride ignores God's standards. Take a look at this. Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. For those of you who didn't catch that, most likely, I'm not saying perfectly because I was not there. That's a little before my time. Cain and Abel were twins. I've, I've looked this up in a number of people that I truly respect. And it is believed that because of the grammar here in the Hebrew, that Cain and Abel were twins. The very first time that she received from the Lord conception, it was two boys. The first one to come out was Cain. That's why he's considered the elder. The second one to come out was Abel. But they were twins delivered at the same time on the same day as a gift from God to Adam and Eve. Now, when we understand that they are twins, that they share that likeness, maybe in that we can begin to see how terrible what Cain did is. But let's keep going. Now, Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. Remember, Adam had been a, a gardener in the, in the Garden of Eden. He had been there. He had been able to cultivate all those crops that God had put in there for, for feeding him and for feeding his wife and to feed the others. So he knew something about the working of the ground. Even though they are apart from the Garden of Eden, remember we saw them cast out last week, the cherubim and the whirling sword both stand guard. But notice in chapter 3, where do they stand guard? They stand guard on the path to the tree of life. 
being cast out of the garden and being cast out of that cultivated place that God made, it is still possible that Adam and Eve had access to what was growing in the garden. They had access to food. They had access to water. They simply could not remain in the garden and they could not have access to the tree of life. So that maybe begins to answer the question, how did they garden outside? Now we know there would be great hardship for Adam as he would begin to work the ground and begin to do those things. And as he taught, his first son, Cain, to do that. But there was more going on. It said this, so Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Key being the word some. Cain wanted to acknowledge that, yes, God is God, but I think Cain was also a very proud, a very arrogant man. He believed he had worked. He had cultivated the earth. He had done everything necessary to make these crops grow. What he ignored the fact was this, God gives the increase. You can do all the work in the world, whether it's the work of ministry, whether the work of raising children, whether it's the work of a job, building a business, building and creating something important. But it is ultimately God who gives that blessing. It is God who gives that increase. And Cain forgot that. It seems here that he believed he had done all the work. It was all him. And he was going to give God a token offering. And that's the problem. You see, he was giving God an offering from himself, not returning to God what always belonged to God. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of the flock. Now that word firstborn means the finest, the very best, the very highest quality. So he was raising those animals that he had gathered from the garden. He was raising them and producing what he needed, goats for milk, etc. And he gave the very best of the firstborn of that crop, of those uh, flock. And he gave it to God as an offering befitting God. Now some have argued, was Cain really doing an offering the way he should have? We know that the first offering for sin was in the garden. And it was those two animals that were slaughtered to provide their skins for Adam and Eve. Was the sin here that, that Cain did not provide a blood offering? Some believe, sorry, some believe so. But also take a look at the heart. An offering to God, no matter how big or how small, when given with the right attitude is acceptable to God. He goes on and says this. So he presented the offering, some of the firstborn of the flock, and their fat portions. The Lord regarded Abel for his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Whoa, did not have regard. Why? Because it wasn't an animal? Because it wasn't blood? Or because Cain had the wrong attitude? Remember Jesus sees the old woman going into the temple and everybody's dropping in money bags full of money and they're letting everyone see how much wealth they're putting into the coffers. And this little old lady comes up, two small coins, and she drops them in humbly and walks on. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Why? Because that's all she had. She gave everything to God as an offering, as a thanksgiving for who he was and what he had done in Israel. You see, it's the attitude, it's the position of the heart that God most requires. See, pride says, oh, God wants this, this whole thing, but I'm just going to give him what I think he deserves. I'm just going to give him a token offering. And a lot of people come to God with a token offering 
which is almost nothing compared to what they actually have, a token of their time, of their talents, of their wealth, of their resources. And what happens is God goes, nothing. You gave this amount, which is nothing compared to what I've given you. This person over here is giving 100%. They're giving everything they have. I have regard for that, Abel. But Cain, no, I've got no respect for that. In fact, he goes on and tells him this. He says, Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, the Lord is speaking directly to Cain. In these days, you could hear the voice of God directly speaking to you. He says, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you have the right attitude, if you come with the right disposition, if you come with the right offering, which is a complete, sincere heart, won't you be accepted? Of course you will be. Cain knew that. Cain knew that his offering was lacking because it wasn't wholehearted. It wasn't devoted to God. It was just an offering, a symbol, an act. I show up at church on Christmas and Easter. That's all God deserves. That's all God gets from me. That's most people's attitude. I show up on Sunday, but I don't think about God from noon on Sunday till 11 on the next Sunday. The rest of that time is all mine. God gets his one hour. Is God going to regard that? No, he is not going to regard that because it's not what he wants. He says this, why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, here's the warning for all of us. In our walk with God, do we do what is right? He has shown the old man what is true and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what the scripture says. He says, if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Could you imagine if they were identical twins? Could you imagine Cain looking into the face, the identical face of his brother, and taking his life simply because, Abel, you look like me, but God respects you. He doesn't respect me. Mom loves you more than me. Dad loves you more than me. How many times have you heard siblings bicker about who's the favorite, who God loves more? As a parent, I can tell you, you always love your children. Always love your children. Nothing changes that. You may get a little upset with them, a little get a little worried about them. I haven't had that situation yet because my kid's perfect. There you go. I'm just saying, you love your children. But when you get that feeling like mom loves him more than me or dad loves him more than me, then you start saying and doing things that are stupid. You start saying and doing things you shouldn't. Cain was jealous. Abel looks just like me. We both work hard. We both do our job. How come God loves him and God doesn't love me? God said it. If you do what's right, give that offering of your heart. Give that offering of your devotion. Give your whole self to the Lord in humility. Then God will, of course, accept it. But it says sin is crouching at the door. As I was reading this, I thought, what crouches at the door? Well, if you live up here, it could be a coyote. It could be a wolf. It could be about anything. But, you know, think about last week. What is it that you most fear? Now, I don't know about you, but my uncle lived in Arizona. And when you get up in the morning, what do you do? You take your boots off the floor. You shake them out. Why? What loves to hide in your boots at night? Scorpions. 
Scorpions and or what? Serpents, snakes. Anything that will hide in the heat, hide in the darkness, and snatch up and bite you. That's how sin is. Sin gets us when we're not paying attention. Sin gets us when we get our nose out of joint. Sin hits us when we are jealous, when our pride is wounded, and that's when Satan can strike, and that venom goes right to the heart. I guess in Australia, they have this thing called a three-step Charlie. And basically, you take one step, two steps, three steps, and you're dead. It's that venomous. It's like, guys, it just, you get three steps and you're dead. You can't even walk to get help. You can't even walk to someone to give you an antidote. It's just too late. Sin is that poisonous, that toxic. Pride will take your life before you even know you've been bit. So God warns him right here. God sees what's happening. You're about to make a terrible mistake, so don't do it. Be humble. Come to me. Come to me with your whole being, and we will be good. But instead, Cain says, hey, Abel, let's go for a walk. And then he kills him. Why? Because he's so jealous of God's acceptance of him. But God doesn't accept him. So pride ignores God's standards. God has the right to appoint one person to a high position, one person to a low position. Who's more important in the church? The person who stands at the back door and welcomes people or the person who stands in the pulpit? Neither one. Who's more important in the church? The one who vacuums after church or the one who sings the music on Sunday morning? Neither one is more important because everyone does what they do out of a devotion to the Lord. You do what you can do. You can do what you're able to do. But it doesn't matter whether you're the preacher, the singer, the vacuumer, or the welcomer. It's all the same to God if it's all out of your heart. Let's go on to the next thing. So pride ignores God's standards, but also Pride refuses accountability. If you're a parent, you know this one's coming because you know this is how little kids are. We were talking today about young people coming into our workplaces and, and they come in and they go, oh, I'm here to do this job and I'm going to stand around on my phone all day long and do not a blessed thing and you're going to pay me. And we're like, oh, no, we ain't. There's your job, A, B, C. Get your job done. Oh, that's too hard. That's too much work. I, I, I can't do all that. Bye. And they never come back. Genesis 4 and 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? There he is asking them questions again. He said, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was, but he needed Adam to step up and come before God on his own terms. So he says, so Cain, where's your brother Abel? Of course God knew what he had done. You're going to see that in a minute. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? By the way, the answer to that is yes. In the church, you are your brother's and sister's guardians. When you see someone floundering, when you see someone hurting, when you see someone failing, it is your responsibility as a Christian, as a brother or sister, to step up, to help them, to correct them. If someone's off the track, if they, if they run off the track and they're just going crazy, Step in there and help them get back on track. Bible says restore one gently who's gone out of the way. So if someone is, is messing up, let them know. Tell them. Help them. Pray for them. Be with them. That's what Cain should have done, but he didn't. He says to this, he says to them, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. Okay, now here we go. 
Where was Cain's place? What was the thing he was most proud of? What was he most arrogant about? He was a great farmer. He could raise anything. He got those seeds from the garden. He came back out of the garden. He began to plant. He began to water. He began to till and weed and do all the things that gardeners do. Okay, I pull more weeds out of gardens than I can count. But here's the thing. You do that, and when you get those prize crops, that prize pumpkin, that prize whatever, you're very proud of that because you put in the hard work. Now what does he say? You are cursed, alienated from the ground. That was his whole identity. His whole identity came was he was a farmer, a tiller of the ground, and now it's been cut off from him. Now he can't be a farmer anymore. By the way, God's going to take care of that problem a little bit later on. But here we go. It says, so uh, you're alienated from the ground that opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Wait a minute, you just killed your brother. What do you mean your punishment's too great? How can it be too great for someone who has murdered their identical twin? Who has taken the life of somebody who looks just like them but who was accepted when they weren't. How can anything be too great for that? He said, my, great, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the soil, and he's talking about his job again, I was a great farmer. Now you're not going to let me farm anymore. What's my identity? We talked about retirement earlier, me and John. You know, maybe it's time to step back and retire and, and do these things. But here's the thing. Whether you are working at the job you've been working at for 50 years, or you're doing something else, aren't you still God's worker? Aren't you still God's person? He has cut him off from the soil, which was his identity, his arrogance, his proud thing. So what's he going to do now? You've cut me off from the soil. I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whosoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. For those of you who have always wondered about the mark of Cain, that was a mark of protection, not a mark of punishment. There were those preachers in this country who, out of ignorance and a lack of study, believed that the mark of Cain was dark skin. And that that's why they could mistreat African Americans, because they had dark skin. They had the mark of Cain. Those preachers, in their ignorance, said something incredibly stupid, and I know that since then they have had to answer for that stuff that came out of their mouth. The mark on Cain was to protect him so that nobody would take his life, so whosoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now here's the thing. Who's the only other created being that's been cast away from the presence of God? Lucifer, Satan, and his angels were cast down from heaven. They were cast away from the presence of the Lord as their punishment for what they had done, for their rebellion against God. So now Cain is truly going to suffer something more hideous than he ever thought. He is being cast away from God's presence among his people because now he's going to stay here with Adam and Eve and his brothers and sisters, and he's going to be cast out. Interestingly enough, 
they go to the place called the land of Nod. The land of Nod is not a place, y'all. It is a life situation. The word Nod means wandering. Twice before, he has said, I will be a wanderer on the earth. I will wander the earth. Because that's what the land of Nod is. It's a land of wandering. Instead of being settled, set in one place where God could bless and God could dwell, now you are set to wander around the earth. Who else wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because they did not believe the voice of God? Israelites. The Israelites, in essence, for 40 years entered the land of Nod, the land of wandering, where they were cut off from that peace, that security, that settled life. See, the, the whole thing about, about the people of Israel, they were to enter the land of promise, which was what? The land of peace, the land of settledness. You ever wonder why some people say that they are Christians, but they have no peace? You ever wonder why some people, they go to church, but they have no settledness in their life. They have no security. They have no stableness. It's because they're in the land of Nod. They are not being obedient to God. They are not focused on him. They are focused on what they can get from themselves. And therefore, they are in the land of wandering. No settledness, no security. And that's a terrible thing. The nomadic lifestyle is hard. It's brutal because it doesn't allow you to be in any one place. Now, we're going to see this also becomes an interesting factor later on. But let's go back to that mark that he put on Cain. Do we know what the mark was? No. Was it a simple mark on the forehead? You remember Ezekiel when he's in the temple. He's despondent because the people of Israel have turned their back on God. And Ezekiel's really angry. And he says, Ezekiel, call the penman. This was an angel. And the angel stepped forward and he had a pen box and he had a pen on his hand. He says, go out, put a mark on the head of everyone who weeps and mourns because of the sin of Israel. And then to the angels behind the pen, he says, now go and slay all of those who are not marked. In the end of days, there will be 144,000 servants of God, all Jews from those 12 tribes of Israel. They will have a mark on their head, which will prevent the Antichrist from moving against them as they testify to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Today, sitting in this church, if you had the eyes of the Spirit, you would see on the head of every believer a mark. And that mark would seem like a seal with God's name on it. And that seal prevents Satan from acting against you. Can he torment you? Yes. Can he bugger you up? Yes. Can he give you a hard time? Yes. But can he hold you, possess you, and stop you from being God's servant? No. The mark on the head is always a mark of protection. You want to have God's seal on you. You want to have God's mark on you. And when you are fully committed, fully surrendered, I wear a wedding ring for one reason. I am married. And I want the whole bloody world to know I am married. You know, I mean, when you're me and people are all around you and enthralled by you at all times, you're like, no, don't marry, stay away. You know, you want that. Amen? I mean, come on, give me one delusion. Here we go. Those 144,000 are sealed. Just as the people in Israel who wept under Ezekiel's time were sealed. Now Cain, though he's been cast out, though he's been cast away from his family because of what he did, 
He has gone to the land of Nod, and there was some sort of visible mark on him that let them know he was protected. He was under God's protection. Now, of course, this mark only existed for Cain. It only existed during his lifestyle. That mark disappeared with his death. So we don't know what the mark was, what it looked like. Was it some sort of, was it some sort of um, a visible mark or, or, or some sort of skin problem? We don't know. But that's what happened. See, pride refuses accountability. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. You have a member of your family who's not a Christian. Do you need to tell them? Yes. If someone at your workplace says, are you really a Christian? Do you really believe in Jesus? Do you? Yes, I do. You are accountable to testify. You are your brother's keeper. And that starts with your family. It goes to your friends. It goes to workmates, etc. Do you see why Genesis is so important? It's telling us all of these critical details. The last thing I want you to see is this. Pride ignores God's standards. We see that every day. Pride refuses accountability, but God will still hold us accountable. The last one is this. Pride leads to even greater sin. When you have pride, it compounds itself and becomes worse. Genesis 4, 17. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And, sorry, Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city. Okay, he's no longer going to be the man of the field. Now he's going to be the man of the city. If you've ever been a farmer, lived in the wilderness, and then get stuck in a city, you'll know how terrible that is. But you see, he couldn't be a farmer anymore. He had to settle down. And he named the city Enoch. After his son, Irad was born to Enoch. Irad's father, Mahujal. Mahujal fathered Methuselah. And Methuselah fathered Lamech. Now here we go. Here's where the problem comes. Enoch, I mean, sorry. Cain has slain his brother. Everybody knows what he did. All of his descendants know what he did. Lamech took two wives for himself. This is the first time we see bigamy in the word of God. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And you're going to see why in just a minute. He took two wives for himself, one named Adah, the other named Zillah. Adah bore Jabel, who was the father of the nomadic herdsman. Okay, mark that down. Nomadic herdsman descending from this guy right here. Okay. His brother was named Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, one of the most famous descendants of Cain. And you're going to see why in a minute. Who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal Cain's sister was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Pay attention to my words. Can you tell already he's an arrogant man? Can you tell just by the way he's talking to his wives? He's arrogant. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 77 times. Hold the phone. The mark on Cain was to protect him, right? He's now boasting about having killed this young man just for hitting him. We don't know if it was an accident. We don't know if it was a bar fight. We don't know what it was. But he now says... In the past, God said, if you touch Cain, he will be avenged seven times. But now he says, now I am Lamech. If you touch me, the vengeance will be 77 times. 
so arrogant, so proud. And it says this, it will be 77 times. Anytime you have sin that is not stopped, it grows in intensity, it grows in strength. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth. By the way, you will find most often the women, the daughters are not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's usually the sons. They're tracing the male lineage forward. Now, there may have been a dozen daughters born to Adam and Eve. They're simply not listed. So don't get confused with that. I'm going to answer that question. I know what question you're going to ask. I'm going to get there in a second. So Adam was intimate with his wife again. She gave birth to a son named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in the place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. All that time people became, oh, sorry, at that time people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Wait a minute. You mean people were not calling on the name of Yahweh prior to this moment, prior to this birth? Think about this. I checked out John MacArthur on this one. John MacArthur points out that as men became aware of their sinfulness, first, here's Cain. He kills Abel. Now Lamech, the descendant of Cain, kills another young man and threatens to kill even more. So basically, people became aware of their sinfulness. They became aware that they were separated from God. And as they were separated from God, they began to cry out to God for mercy. You see, when everything was fine, they could simply speak to God. God spoke to Cain, as I speak to you. He spoke to him. But now people would cry out because they were aware that something was separating them from God. Something was distancing them from God. Not just the lack of access to the tree of life. But now they began to sense that there was this sin in the world, that something was festering. There were multiple murderers out there now. And they had to see what was going on. So people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And they used the name Yahweh, because that is God's appointed name. Don't forget, all of this book is coming through Moses at Mount Sinai. And Moses has already asked God, what, what shall I tell him? Who shall I say sent me? He said, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. So that's why they have the covenant name of God here. Uh, we don't know by what name the people called upon God in, the, in those days after the Garden of Eden, but Moses has identified him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we know exactly who we're talking about. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. Now here's the thing. Everybody says, verse 17, Cain was intimate with his wife. Where did his wife come from? Well, where do you think she came from? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had twins. We're going to assume that for now. Had twins, Cain and Abel. But they didn't stop after that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Catholic area of the country. And to have a family of 20 or 30 or even 50 children was not that unusual. By the way, the record is 54 live births from one man, one woman. England holds us on that one. Where did these girls come from? They came from Adam and Eve. They were sisters and brothers because there was nobody else in the world at that time. I know what you're thinking. They have a word for that. Yes, they do, but it didn't apply then. Why? Because there was nothing back then. We have laws against intermarrying brothers and sisters because of genetic problems that have evolved through the centuries. There were genetic problems that happened when you mate people who are too closely related. 
But here, people were still physically perfect. No cancer, no genetic problems, no types of issues yet. And it was the only way for a man to get a woman was to marry a sister. Now, after this, of course, you're going to have multiple children, and their children can intermarry each other, even though they're first cousins. It's still okay, because at this time, there's no problem. You see the problem later, after the flood. By the way, after the flood, everything changes. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Because after the flood, men have to eat animals. That changes that relationship between us and the natural world. After that, you've only got, you've only got four couples on the face of the earth. So things begin to change after that, after they begin to go out into the world, after the Tower of Babel. So the world is changing, but this is a very different time. Do not let this fact mess you up. This is simply what happened. Remember, the Word of God is both prescriptive and descriptive. It describes what happened without necessarily prescribing that as a good thing. Lamech had two wives, which had never been done, and it was wrong. But at that time, he was the first to do it, so the Bible simply describes that this is what happened. Everybody has trouble with chapter 4. Everybody has trouble with chapter 4. But here's the thing. If we simply accept that that is what was, then it's much easier to make sense of the whole book of Genesis. There was nowhere else to get people from. Those were the only people on the face of the earth. Now, there are those who believe that aliens came down and aliens intermixed with this and that, and I don't think so. I mean, all, all deference to the people who believe in aliens, but no. The truth is, they were marrying their sisters. And that's exactly where Cain got his wife. If you think about it, Adam and Eve had two boys. And it's not, it's not mentioned again how many more children she had, but we don't pick up with Cain and Abel until possibly they're in their late, late teens, early 20s. By that point, he already has his wife, takes his wife with him. I know that's a difficult thing for us living in America in 2022 to understand, but if you simply step back and look at it, it's exactly what happened. You see here, pride is very dangerous because Cain and Abel were identical, most likely identical twins. And when Cain looked into Abel's face, he saw himself, but he saw a man who was accepted by God when he himself was not. And it wasn't the face, it wasn't the physical, it was the heart, it was the spirit that was wrong in Cain. And the same thing happens today. You can be rich and prosperous and powerful. You can be broke and working two jobs just to make ends meet. It's not what you have. It's not what you look like. It's what's going on in here. You can show up at church every single Sunday, and still everything in here can be wrong, if you know what I mean. So this week I encourage you, come back to this. Visit it again. Take a look at it. Try to understand it. Because this is where the world changes, right here. This is where everything in Adam and Eve's world change. This is where everything in our world change. Because now you have a group of people who are being fathered by a man who is separated from God. So they're going to have a very different view of the world, a very different view of how things work. Let's go ahead and pray.